Well, it's a great blessing for us to be here in the city of Liverpool. It's been probably 12 years since we were last here and we've driven over two hours to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ, to give out some tracts and some DVDs. And as I always like to say, I would like to think that if the Lord had done something wonderful for you, you would want to share it with other people. And our small group have got some great news to share this afternoon with you good people of Liverpool. And I'd like to think when we leave here in little time, the Word of God would have been preached, the name of Jesus would have been held up, and perhaps some people somewhere will get saved. We never assume that just because officially Britain offers itself as a Christian country that people are still Christian. We never assume anything. I was always told when I was a lot younger to never assume anything. And that's great advice. We always start with a negative and we swing over to a positive. It's like if you surf the net, you know what they say. If you haven't got an antivirus, you risk being hacked. You risk Trojan horses being infected. You risk having your computer overtaken, completely controlled. And that's a real threat for the 21st century. But the same is true of sin. If you're not careful, sin will get its uh, claws into you. And once it gets its claws into you, it's very hard to get them out. And that's why if you didn't know the only remedy, the only antidote, the only way to escape the contamination of sin is to believe on the Saviour of the world, the great and only God, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians is a great piece of scripture which I'd like to read to you people in Liverpool during this wet and somewhat uh, cold afternoon. And the Word of God says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. The Apostle Paul was probably the greatest Christian that's ever lived, had the greatest news to share with anyone. And we say that people like him wore their hearts on their sleeves. It's just past the Halifax, that's where our land ends there, you see. Okay, fair so, enough. Sorry about no that. Worries. So we have to obey the rules of the land, and the gentleman very kindly told me that where I am preaching from is private land, that's okay. I will stand a little further back. It makes no difference really where we stand, as long as the preaching of the gospel doesn't get uh, interfered with. The Bible says that the word of God never returns void. That's good news. It means wherever you are, whether you're on private land or uh, public land, the word of God goes out loud and clear. I'm a calm as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So it's like this. You may have all of your theology straight. You may go to church regularly. You may have an outward appearance of godliness, an outward appearance of being an upright, decent sort of person. But inwardly, what's your heart like? Inwardly. Are you living for the Lord? Are you honouring the Lord? Are you glorifying your families? If not, something's wrong. If not, it's perhaps hypocritical. And that's what the Lord is interested in. He wants your hearts. I know a good number of people, like 60%, will say they go to church or offer themselves as being Christian during the last census. 
a few years ago, I think it was about 57%. 57% of those in Britain said they were Christian. But where's the fruit? Anybody can say anything, but where's the fruit? And here the Apostle Paul is very keen to get his audience to show their love. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Absolutely so. You may say you're a Christian, but is there any evidence to suggest that you are? I mean, can you prove it? If you were to be arrested, if you were to be interrogated by the police service, the police force, could they prove conclusively that you are a Christian? Do your neighbours know that you are a Christian? Would you stand on a street corner like this in Liverpool and preach about Jesus Christ? I mean, do you have any good news to share with people? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about a relationship. Some of you people love your wives, you want to boast about it. Some of you people love your husbands, you want to boast about it. You're not ashamed of your husband, you're not ashamed of your wife. That's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about. He wants the Corinthians and vicariously people in Liverpool today, if they are saved, or people that are going to be saved, to brag about the Lord, to speak about the Lord. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. The worst type of person to meet is a know-it-all. Somebody who offers himself as an expert, could be in politics, it could be in economics, it could be in science, and yet they're the meanest person. The meanest person that you could ever meet. Outwardly, they offer themselves as being very upright, very respectful, and yet inwardly, they are just as mean as you could possibly be mean to their families, mean to their work colleagues and are a great disservice to those that know them and here this context, this passage is about love I mean real love never mind Romeo and Juliet, I mean a real love a love that passes all understanding and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing it's absolutely fair to say that historically Christians were the first to build orphanages, Christians were the first to take care of the poor and needy, Christians were the first to build hospitals, even to this present day Christians still raise the most amount of money for charities, make the biggest impact on the world, and yet all of that, if it's not based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that, if it's not based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is completely irrelevant, worthless. And that's what the Bible says to examine yourselves, to make sure that you are in the faith. I appreciate that for some of you people in Liverpool, what you are hearing today may not touch you. I know people are very passive today. People have been indoctrinated, brainwashed to believe what the media tell them. They read newspapers online or they go onto Facebook or Twitter and they believe what they read. We've lost, we've lost a generation or two. We've lost maybe three generations, maybe four generations. Our great grandfathers would read, would examine. They didn't take something for granted. But today most people, like I say, will go online, read an article, read a treat, and believe it. Never examine it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, 
doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. When we speak about love, I mean real love. We think of Jesus Christ, a perfect man, living during a very difficult time, suffering like you couldn't really imagine, being whipped to death, nailed to a cross. And you say, why would that be the case? Because that's what should happen to just everyday people, lawbreakers, criminals. I know most of you people have some understanding when it comes to the difference between right and wrong. I'm sure a good number of you people have some understanding about the ways of the world and are very upset about what you hear, what you see on the news, and quite rightly so. I've been watching the uh, war in Syria for the last 10 years. Thousands, if not millions, of poor people just being killed. It's a civil war. It's terrible to watch. In fact, just last night I caught a documentary about Russian aggression on the borders of Estonia. There's great fear, great fear in Estonia. A tiny country, a member of NATO, and they are begging large countries like Britain and America and France and Germany to come to their aid. And they have done. But we watch that from the outside and we are grieved. We see poor people, terrified. We see what happened when the Russians took Crimea back, just annexed it, commandeered it. A lot of people suffered, a lot of people were scared. We were grieved by that, and rightly so. That comes from the Lord, that's our conscience. That's a natural fear, that's a natural sense of feeling something isn't right, something needs to be put right. So when we think about Jesus Christ, we see a sinless man, never lied, never stole, never blasphemed, was perfect in word, thought and deed, would fulfill Bible prophecy, I mean right down to the letter, you were told when he would be born, you were told how he would die, and you were told that after three days, he would be raised from the dead. I mean 68 prophecies, maybe 70 prophecies written over a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ was even born. You try and match that. You try and take any holy book so-called and give me 10 prophecies, give me 15 prophecies, give me 20 prophecies of Buddha, Muhammad, Mary, anyone, anytime, anywhere. You can't do it. But you go to the Old Testament, you've got 68 prophecies about a man, about a king and a kingdom. The Bible says he'll be called Jesus, meaning God with us. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And he shall save his people from their sins. I mean like lying, like stealing, like taking the Lord's name in vain. I read an article last year concerning a well-known dating site and it said this. It said, if we find any of our members lying, you'll be kicked off our site. Pretty strict. Lying, thieving, blasphemy, the worship of false gods, other gods. These are the problems that affect so many people. But here, love isn't evil, doesn't seek its own is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. The word charity, if you didn't know, means love. There are many words for love. There are several Greek words for love. I won't get into it now, it's too technical, but you have really two types of love in the English language. You have a fondness and a love. 
You may be fond of your neighbour, you may be fond of a work colleague, you may be fond of a neighbour, a colleague, a workmate, somebody you know, but when it comes to your husband or your wife or your children, you love that person. That's a difference. There's a difference. That's how it appears in the scripture. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That's the strongest Greek word. It means agape. It means real love. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish. That's an awful word. But have everlasting life. Life without end. That's good news. And yet for some people, it doesn't touch them. Some people are very passive. Some people are very indifferent. Some people have been indoctrinated. Some people have been uh, brainwashed. Some people can't think anymore. And we have the schools to blame for that. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So as of right now, we live in time. We are very limited as to what we can really understand. You may read every newspaper every morning. And, okay, fair enough, you may watch a good number of the news channels. And yet, I would say that even, in, even with all that included, you still only know a tiny minority. The governments don't tell you the whole story. The media don't tell you the whole story. If you are a child, your parents don't tell you the whole story. If you are at school, your teachers don't tell you the whole story. If you are an employee, your employer doesn't tell you the whole story. There's a lot that you don't know. You're kept in the dark. That's kind of normal. We can't really fathom everlasting life. We can't really fathom heaven. We can't really fathom Almighty God. We can't really fathom perfection like love. We can't really, perfect, uh, we can't really fathom hell, suffering, torment. We can't really grasp these things. We, you know, we have some understanding, but we can't really grasp it. We are limited because number one, we are finite beings. Number two, we live in time. And number three, we don't have the whole picture. It's like if you sit down to watch a movie and you watch it and maybe for the first five or six minutes you've got some idea as to the type of the storyline. You may watch 10, 15 minutes and the film starts to open up and you think to yourself, oh, I can see how this is going to go. I've got some understanding as to how this may go, but you still, you still don't really know. And after 35, 40 minutes, you think to yourself, well, it could end this way, it could end that way, but you still really don't know. You have to watch the entire movie to see how it's going to play out. And that's a picture, to some extent, as to what it's like to live in the here and now, to live in the 21st century. Yes, we have NASA. Yes, we have space shots. Yes, we can measure the Earth. We can weigh the Earth. We can appreciate a lot more than our forefathers could, but we still can't really grasp what heaven is like. We don't really understand how one man, God and man, the man Christ Jesus, came into the world, lived a life that we could never live, died in a place of sinners. And the Bible says, if you trust that, if you believe that, I will save you. We can't really grasp it. We take it by faith, because that's all we, that's all we can uh, really do. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. No doubt a reference to the second coming of Christ. 
Some people think it's in reference to the scripture. Well, the scripture is the word of God. The scripture cannot be broken. The scripture is inspired. This is banned in nine countries. Did you know that? This book that I'm holding up is banned in nine countries. You say, why would that be? Because there's something in this book, there's something in this text that governments around the world, like nine countries around the world, don't like. They can't control it, you see. If you were unfortunate enough to be, to be living in a communist country, you suffer terribly. You are brainwashed into believing in atheism. If you were raised in a fascist country, you are brainwashed into believing in the state religion. When this book gets a hold of you, you're never the same again. And that's why this book is banned in nine countries, and yet those countries have nuclear weapons. Please explain that to me sometime. Why is it the case that some of these countries have nuclear weapons which can kill millions of people, if not billions of people, and yet this book is banned in nine countries? What's going on? When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a young man, I was taught in evolution. I was taught about the fairies, the tooth fairy. I was taught about this, taught about that. Kids like to be educated, or I should say entertained. Kids like to be entertained. And people are raised to believe a lie. People don't think to examine it. I mean, why would you? If you are at school, you don't question your teachers, do you? If you question your teachers, they put you out. You will be suspended, perhaps excluded. You try questioning your boss, they won't wear it. But when you become a man, you realize that this whole solar system is so complex that your DNA goes to the moon and back. You can't really fathom that. Maybe as a child, you believed in evolution. Maybe as a child, you believed in the tooth fairy or Father Christmas or this or that, but when you become a man, when you come of age, you start to sit down and examine the evidence for yourself. It's a whole different ball game. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. If you wear glasses, you wear glasses because you're either short-sighted or long-sighted. Take the glasses off, it's a blurred picture. You can't make heads or tail of it. Like I say, for the here and now, we only know so much. We only know so much. I remember listening to an interview some years ago of a well-known cabinet minister, and he said this. He said, for five or six years, I was at the heart of the British government. I was briefed on everything, very much in the know. I knew what would be in tomorrow's newspaper. And then one day I was fired. I lost the top job. And I would have to read the news in the paper the following day. What a shock. One moment he's at the top of his game, the next moment he's just knocked down. Doesn't know the whole story, partly blinded. He's gone from being in the know to being outside. If you read the Bible very carefully, you see many times back in the Old Testament, the prophets were shown all sorts of things, much of which they didn't really understand. But the Lord said this, he said, right. Write A, B, and C. Write D, E, and F. They wrote what they were told to write. The New Testament comes along. The apostles are reading the Old Testament, trying to work out this and that. There's one account back in the Old Testament where, I think it was Jeremiah, had to go to 
Daniel's book to understand what was going on. There's no such thing as infallibility. You may think you have a good understanding as to what's going on, but you don't really know what's going on. I mean, the media, they treat us like children. The government treat us like children. I would say probably 75% of what really goes on, we know nothing about. I think even 25% is being conservative. But here, the Apostle Paul is trying to explain that for the here and now, we live by faith, those of us which have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us which have taken the time to read the Word of God. We don't live by sight, we live by faith. We take it by faith, we base it on fact. It's not a blind faith. I would say that most isms, most systems are based on blind faith. It's very rare to find somebody who takes the time to examine anything. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. One more time, charity is Old English for love. If you've ever experienced love, I mean real love. You know what it's all about. Your parents love you, you love your parents. Your wife loves you, your husband loves you. That's real love. Your children love you, you love your children. That's real love. Now times that by a million. That's how God thinks about the world but we can't really grasp it. Sometimes we like to run from it. Sometimes our consciences get a hold of us, we feel unworthy. We feel just ruined. We feel unclean. We feel like we're nothing. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says we were enemies of the Lord. That's not something that I would think people in Liverpool today want to hear, that the Lord sees them as enemies, and yet at the same time, he has a great love. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. So 13 verses from the 13th chapter of the book of the Corinthians, the epistle to the Corinthians. Some great verses. Words of hope. Words of encouragement. Words of substance. Like I said a few moments ago, I'd like to think if your religion meant something to you, if your religion gave you peace and hope, if your religion introduced you to the one true God, if your religion guaranteed you forgiveness of sins, I would like to think that you would share it with someone. I know many people are selfish, I know many people are in a hurry, I know many people are in a rush, but I'd like to think if something had changed you, if something had made a difference in your life, you would share it with someone. Let's go back to the antivirus analogy one last time. Let's say I was aware of a free antivirus software and didn't share it with anybody. And you people in Liverpool were going online, paying £45 for an antivirus package, and yet I knew about a free antivirus package. One moment, sir. Wouldn't that be a negative thing for me? I mean, if I knew about a free antivirus package and I decided to keep it to myself, you'd say, this guy doesn't really care about us. He says he does, and yet he's keeping the goodies back for himself. And that's why I think so many people are partly critical of organized religion. I understand that. 
I have no time for organized religion. But this isn't about organized religion. You won't find any priests on the streets of Liverpool. You won't find any vicars on the streets of Liverpool. They expect you to go to their churches. But the Bible says that we are to go into the whole world. The Bible says that the true church is to seek out people, to speak to people, to explain why we are here, the whole purpose of life. I wish people could understand how short life is. You're here one moment, and you're gone the next. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That's incredible. I mean, true love can't be faulted. True love isn't flawed. True love cannot be condemned. And yet many people, I think, just taste an ounce of love. I mean real love. When we speak about God, we say he is love. We, no, we also say that he's holy. He's holy and he's love. He's love and he's holy. He's made a place called heaven for those that love him, for those that want to be forgiven. And there's a place called hell for those that don't love him, for those that want to do their own thing. How else could it be? If you think of a prisoner in a courtroom who's done wrong, he can't go free. He has to serve his time. That's what jails are for. And yet even saying that, sometimes courts can overlook criminals' transgressions. If a fine has been issued and somebody pays the fine, that criminal can walk free because the fine has been paid. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. He's paid the fine. He's paid my fine. He's paid the fine for the whole world. And all he asks is this, that you receive him, that you believe on him, that you repent. It's as simple as that. A child could understand it. Anybody could really grasp it if they wanted to. And yet, unfortunately, the Bible says that men run from the Lord. The Bible says that men, mankind, likes to create another religion. The, the worship of self. The belief in, I'm okay as I am. Life's been pretty good to me. And then one day, such a person gets sick and starts to examine their lives. They get scared. Because for the first time in their lives, they're no longer in control. They're on their sick beds. And they start to look back over their lives. Where have the last 40 years gone? The last 50 years gone? What was life all about? My kids are growing up, moved out. I'm on my own now. And that's when the Lord starts to speak to certain people. And some of you people in Liverpool have been to church over the years. You have some understanding of what I've been preaching over the last little while. Some of you people may have turned from the Lord. Some of you people may be doing your own thing. But deep down in your consciences, you still know right from wrong. Deep down in your DNA, what you learnt all those years ago has never gone away. And every so often your conscience pricks you. Every so often you think about what you shouldn't do and what you should be doing. And it starts to churn you up. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That means the Lord still wants you. That means there's still hope for you. But if your heart's hardened, if your heart is just like a rock, if you're cold, indifferent, and I mean all of the time, 
then it's quite likely that you've passed the points of no return. I hope I'm wrong. We're not here to condemn anybody today. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to hold up the name of Jesus Christ. And yet I should say this, that the Bible says that the world is already under a judgment. The world is already being condemned. If I didn't tell you that, I'd be failing my duty as a street preacher. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. True love warns you about the negative. Going back to my earlier statement concerning the civil war in Syria, people have been speaking out against that. People have been warning people to get out of such a war zone. If you could help somebody, why wouldn't you? If you could warn somebody, why wouldn't you? If you had any way to assist somebody, why wouldn't you? Why would you keep this to yourself? Something's wrong. Something's wrong with society when they can help somebody and yet choose not to. Something's wrong when Christians don't raise their voices and call on sinners to repent, to explain the holiness of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord, and yet the goodness of the Lord the love of the Lord. They go hand in hand. God is love, yes, but he's also holy. He has a standard which is far higher than our standards. The Bible says that his ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And yet inside each and every one of us, there's that built-in conscience which knows right from wrong. And that's why parents will discipline their children. That's why teachers discipline their students and that's why employers also castigate their employees there's a pecking order there's a structure in place you can't get around it and that's how it works with the Lord he has rules he has regulations and the Bible says that if you repent if you turn to him he will save you and he will pardon you that's what we need we need the mercy of the Lord the love of the Lord not the judgments not the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord will condemn us. The judgments of the Lord will condemn us. But the mercy, the forgiveness, the love of the Lord, that's what we need. And I hope and pray that you people here in Liverpool will examine what you've heard today. And I pray that the Lord will bless his name and bless his word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it's very impressive to visit a different side of Liverpool, a very modern part of an old city, a lot of history here, a lot of heritage, and yet as impressive as it is, I'm reminded of the verse from the Gospel of Matthew, when the Apostle said to the Lord Jesus Christ, take a look at the building, take a look at the uh, stones, take a look at how impressive the temple is. And the Lord said, one day this temple will be knocked down, no stones left. And of course, he was referring to 70 AD. But at the same time, we can appreciate something as beautiful as Liverpool, some very impressive buildings. In fact, I believe most of this has been done up in recent times, modernized. But we're here not ready to take in the sights. We've been to Liverpool a few times over the years. We're here to preach. We're here to 
glorify our great God. The Bible speaks about raising your voice. The Bible speaks about preaching about a person. The Bible speaks about everlasting life. The Bible speaks about heaven. And the Bible speaks about hell. The Bible says that life is very brief. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. We've been here for maybe 90 minutes and those 90 minutes will never come again. We drove over two and a half hours to get here. Those two and a half hours will never come back. Life is so precious. And yet unfortunately for a good number of people, although they are aware of this, it doesn't really touch them. They're caught up in the here and now. Almighty God is eternal. And when God made man, he gave man a soul. A man's soul is eternal. And you say, why? Because God is eternal. And he gives you one or two places where you can go upon death. The first place, of course, is heaven. The other place, of course, is hell. Somebody once said there are many roads into hell and not one road out. I don't really understand that. And yet, I do understand that. Another statement was made that there are many ways to heaven. But that's not true. The Bible speaks about one man, one way. The Lord Jesus Christ would say that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Very exclusive. But ask yourself this. Those of you which have ever thought about issues, I mean real issues, who else could guarantee you everlasting life? Who else could give you the great gift of everlasting life? Every other religious person that has ever lived gave you their take on this, their take on that. Buddha came looking for the truth, looking for the light, and yet Jesus Christ would say that he was the light of the world. Seven times in the Quran, Muhammad was told to repent, and yet on one occasion the Lord Jesus Christ would say to his critics, but which of you? convicted me of sin. I appreciate that for a good number of people. They have a very limited knowledge of biblical Christianity. Going back to my earlier comments, how far too many people are indoctrinated. Far too many people don't really think about issues of substance. Far too many people are living in a bubble. They believe what they see on television. They believe what they read online. They're very limited as to what they really understand and most people are quite happy to be ignorant and yet there's an expression which says that ignorance of the law is no excuse you may say well I have no knowledge of this or I have no knowledge of that but it won't help you if I was to leave this city in a short period of time if I was to drive out of this city at say 45 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour and get pulled over by the police and say to the police well I didn't know that this road was a 40 mile an hour road in fact to be completely uh, correct it's a 30 mile an hour road this is a built up area it wouldn't make any difference they would say that you should have known that this was a 30 mile an hour limit and therefore we're going to give you a fine put points on your license and you say, well, I'm going to go to court and contest it. It makes no difference. You've broken the law. 
I'm just giving you a very simple analogy, a very basic analogy concerning driving, something which you can all understand. Or how about a mortgage repayment? Let's say the first of every month you have to make a payment on your mortgage and you say to yourself, I won't bother this month. And that month comes and goes and the next month comes around and you say, I'm not going to bother for this month either. Another month comes around and again you say to yourself, I'm not going to bother. You've missed three payments on your mortgage. And the, the, uh, the bank writes to you, the building society writes to you and says you owe them X amount of money and you say, I'm going to contest it. You say, take me to court. You say, I don't care. You say, I have my own truth. You say, it's all subjective. And you find yourself in a court. They've got you bang to rights. You sign a contract. You're locked into that contract. Some of you people have a uh, contract with Sky Television or Virgin Media. And that contract is a legal document. And you might say to yourself, I'm going to break that contract. I'm not going to honor the contract. And they say, well, when you sign the contract, you sign a 36-month contract. And you say, I don't care. I'm going to contest it. They will take you to court. They will prosecute you. You'll have CCJs put against you. You can't get around it. You're tied into a contract. I'm just giving you simple, everyday issues which anybody can understand if they've got half of a brain. And yet, we look at the Lord. It's far more severe. I mean, he looks at every word, thought, and deed. He doesn't just condemn you for what you shouldn't do. He condemns you for what you should do. You can't beat the Lord. You can't get around the Lord. And yet, something which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. People say, well, I'm not particularly religious. And yet, you put a microphone to their mouths. They like to say OMG quite a lot. Or, you, or they say, uh, I'm not particularly religious, but I go to church every so often, like Christmas and Easter. Very hypocritical. Or they say, I'm not particularly religious, but I send my child to a faith school. So hypocritical. People are very complex. What the Lord wants is your heart. He wants you. If he has your heart, he has you. But if he hasn't got your heart, he doesn't have you. And people say, well, I was baptized as a child. I went to this church or that church, or I go to church occasionally, or I give to charity. They're trying to bribe the Lord. They actually think, can you believe, that by going to church or being baptised or having some knowledge, limited knowledge of course, about the Lord, that all is well with the Lord. It won't work. It's a relationship. If you are married, if you have children, if you are in employment, you are in an agreement, you are in some kind of a contract with that person. And if you violate it, you become guilty of violating that contract. It could be marriage, it could be employment, it could be anything. You are expected to fulfill it. And if you break it, you are guilty. And that's how the Lord looks at sin. He gives you ten commandments, not ten suggestions. And the Bible says if you break one of them, and we all have done, we become guilty. Never mind the big sins, just the small sins, like coveting, like dishonouring your parents. This week it's half term. A good number of children are here with their parents, enjoying a good day out, and I'm all for that, have a nice time. And yet, some of you children will disobey your parents, some of you children will be unthankful, some of you children will be uh, misbehaving, acting like sport brats. And when you do so, you dishonour your parents. And the Lord says if you dishonour your parents, you are a lawbreaker. 
And you say, what happens to lawbreakers? They get punished, of course. Almighty God doesn't like to play games with people. He has a set of rules. He has a set of regulations. He has to give you some idea as to who he is and also who you are. If you are a typical parent, an average parent, you tell your children what they can and can't do. They don't tell you what to do. You run the shop. It's your house. It's your rules. They obey you, right? Some of you children you go to school, you obey your teachers. They don't obey you. You have to do what you're told. And if you don't, there are consequences. That's how it works with scripture. The Bible says, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The Bible says, if you don't turn the other cheek, you've wronged the Lord. The Bible says, if somebody comes to you with a need, and you don't provide for that person, you've wronged the Lord. Like I say, it's not just what you shouldn't do, it's what you should do. And one day we'll all die, and the Lord will take the time to examine all of us one by one, and it's like when you wrong your parents, or you wrong somebody who's very close to you, you feel grieved, you feel pained. And you'll stand in the presence of somebody who really loves you, somebody who had a great love for you, somebody who wanted to, to do something for you, and you know that you failed him, you betrayed him. And he stands there, perhaps tears in his eyes, and he says, why didn't you believe on me? Why did you ignore me? Why did you turn from me? I gave you revelation, I gave you a conscience, I sent a group of Christians to Liverpool with a banner, with a, with a megaphone. You've got churches all over this country. There's no excuse. You can go into any uh, library in the UK. It's free to uh, access the internet. You could read any Bible online. There's just no excuse. And you say, what's the problem? The problem is your heart. Your heart's dead. You're not alive. You're flat. You're dead in a spiritual sense. That's what the Bible says, you must be born again. You can't save yourself, you can't make yourself alive, you can't regenerate yourself. If you bring a child into the world, that's something you did. That child that you brought into the world didn't bring itself into the world. You brought that child into the world. That's how salvation works. You can't save yourself. The Lord will save you if you turn to Him, if you receive Him. If you believe on him, it's a free gift. But unfortunately, we live in a society now where people are very passive, they're very indifferent, and on top of that, they seem to believe anything. And as somebody once said, if you don't believe in something, you're full for anything. People say they're secular, people say they're agnostic, people say they're atheist. Does it really matter? Are you going to help anybody, really? I mean, if you're an atheist, if you're secular, does it really make any difference? Have you made any difference to your neighbours? When you die, you're very quickly forgotten. Every year, I think 30,000 books go out of circulation. One in a thousand books will be in circulation for more than 500 years. That's a lot of books that get written and are very quickly forgotten. And yet the Bible, would you believe, remains the best sold book in the world. As of right now, it's sold over a billion copies. It continues to transform people's lives. It, on the one hand, can hurt you, and it can also heal you. It can make you alive, it can give you comfort. It can explain why you're here, why we're here. And yet a lot of people want to lose themselves. They want to lose themselves with, uh, with uh, entertainment, with gambling, pornography, 
television, drinking, drugs, you name it. But it's all temporary. Once those things come and go, you're back where you were to begin with. So we're going to be packing up soon. This was just a uh, brief trip to a very impressive city to get our banner up, to give out some tracts, to preach about Jesus Christ. I know that for a good number of you people, you're unsaved, you don't know the Lord, you have no relationship with the Lord, and yet you cuss him, you blaspheme him, you take his name in vain, you say OMG, it's a very popular term, and yet when challenged, you don't really know why you do it. You say, well, my father did it, or my mother did it, or my boss does it, or my father does it, or my cousin, or him, or her did it, she did it. You're programmed, you're indoctrinated. You can't stand against the tide. You don't teach your children how to pray. You don't tell your children to thank the Lord for their food every night. It's just tragic. And like a lot of people, when you pass away, very quickly forgotten. But the Bible speaks about a day when the Lord will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. But before that, he speaks about a new birth, being born again. And that's what this is all about, being born again, coming to the foot of the cross, bending that knee and calling on the name of the Lord, receiving him, accepting what he has done for you. He paid for your sins, he's covered them. Now he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn to him. Just by faith. No works involved. Come as you are. Allow him to make you alive. Get a clean bill of health. Get your consciences washed. Get some peace. Get some joy. But above all, enter into a relationship with the Lord. That's what this is about. Not about you. Not about me. Not about us. It's about him. He wants you. He gave life to you and he expects you to give your life to him. He wants your heart. And like I say, once he has your heart, he has you. And we pray that the Lord will bless his word in this somewhat gray and overcast city of Liverpool. And we pray that our presence has met with his approval. And we give him thanks and praise in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.